Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning. So uh, I get the privilege of being the leadoff hitter uh, in this new sermon series that we're doing. So as you can see, the title is a little bit long, um, but that's okay. It's okay. We will get there. We will get through all of this. So we're looking at lessons that we wish we would have known at, at a younger point in life. And so this doesn't mean that none of us who are going to be sharing with you or any of us in this room didn't learn these things when we were young, but that they are foundational for life and the importance of knowing them as young as possible. So in our culture, in our society, it's taking longer and longer for kids to grow up. So anthropologists who have studied this have called the millennial generation the Peter Pan generation. The mentality that we never have to grow up, that we can always live in our childhood bedroom, our parents will always take care of us, things like, uh, things like that. And it's bleeding even into the Gen Z uh, generation as well. So when we look through history, most cultures, uh, children became adults at the age of 12. They would take on apprenticeships. They would contribute to society and their family. But statistically today in America, that's not what we see. What we see is that most 12-year-olds spend roughly seven hours on screens outside of school, sleep to 11 on the weekends, and have no expectations or directions for their future outside of whichever digital world that they want to invest in next. And so as parents, mentors, and influencers, we have to steward that responsibility better than we are. We are permitting our young ones to feed on digital trash all day long and then get irritated when they do not contribute or mature. And so on the one hand, it's easy to blame the younger generations for not stepping up. But who is teaching them to be any different than what we see going on? And so we hope that the five lessons that we will cover over these next several weeks will, uh, of course, help help the younger generation to see things from a different perspective, but also to help all of us as we come alongside them as well. And so especially if you're listening to this and you're in middle school or high school, listen up because this series is especially for you. So the first life lesson that we want to tackle is living boldly and courageously. Now, maybe I just have a limitation, but I don't know what the future holds. Maybe some of you have the rest of your life figured out. But for most of us, we don't know what the future holds. And so when we look ahead to the horizon of what's going to happen later today, tomorrow, next week, and the years ahead, we have an unknown. There's a gap of knowledge that we don't have of what comes next. And our primary options to fill that gap is either faith or fear. And the way we fill that gap says a lot about how we see life, how we see the world around us, and how big our God is as we seek to fill that gap with either faith or fear. And so many of us have probably heard of the terms a pessimist or optimist, that doesn't really begin to scratch the surface of what we're talking about. This is taking things to a deeper spiritual level. So one of my earliest lessons about overcoming fear uh, came just as I was preparing to enter middle school. So uh, growing up, I was deathly afraid of roller coasters. I don't care how much money you were going to pay me, I'm not getting on one. Those rides are for crazy people. I'm not crazy. I'm not getting on it. (laughs) And so uh, many summers, my family and I, we would go to Hershey Park, 
And I had a lot of fun, but not on a roller coaster. And uh, so then when I uh, came of age to go into youth group, we had an outing to Hershey Park, and we were buddied up. And, of course, everyone I was friends with in my group loved roller coasters, as there's a not. So the whole way walking through the park, I keep getting badgered, come on, we have to get on one, we have to get on one. So finally I gave in, but I, I had a really smart idea. I was like, I know I'm going to hate it, so if I get on one, then I'll prove that I hate it, and they'll leave me alone the rest of the day. So uh, after 45 minutes of waiting in line, felt like an eternity, I was uh, strapped into Great Bear, shaking in my seat, white-knuckled, holding on for dear life while we were in the station. And uh, so, so eventually we're on our way up the lift hill, and as the ground's getting smaller and smaller underneath me, I'm thinking that maybe I was not so smart. This was not a good idea. Um, but that all changed when we took the first drop, and I got the biggest adrenaline, adrenaline rush of my young life at that point. And a switch flipped, and I went from being deathly afraid to having the time of my life. So we get off the ride, and they're expecting me to hate it. And I go, we have to get on all of them. <laughs> and they're like, all of what? No, every roller coaster. We have to get on every one today. And they're like, what happened to you? But the reason I share that is until I had actually ridden one, I had a gap of knowledge. I made an assumption about what a roller coaster was, but I didn't have the experience to know. And so in that gap of knowledge, I had inserted fear. That's something to be afraid of. That's something to be avoided. I had a list of reasons why I would never do it. Now, now maybe some of you go to a beach to relax and decompress. Just put me on a few roller coasters, and I am, I'm great. And so, you know, it, it applies to life as well because for many of us, we feel like sometimes we're on a roller coaster. Roller coaster of circumstances, of emotions, and so it feels like life has twists and turns and takes our world upside down. And all the while, again, we can be consumed by fear rather than living by faith. And so this morning we're going to look at two examples from the Old Testament, one of fear and one of faith. So our first story comes from the book of Numbers where spies are sent out from the Israelite camp. And so they're going to the promised land to explore and report back to Moses uh, what the land is like, things like what kind of food is available, what kind of enemies are we going to face as we prepare to step into the land. And so to give some context, the Israelites are God's chosen people. And so after 400 years of slavery, God has redeemed them, brought them out of Egypt. He's given them a promise that I'm not only am I going to bring you out of slavery, I'm going to set you free, but I'm also going to take you to the, back to the, back to the ancestors, a place where you can be in relationship with me and have abundant life in my presence. And so he's fulfilled that promise. They're within days of the border of the promised land. All they really need to do is keep walking. The promised land is right there on the horizon. They keep walking. They can experience for themselves the very promise that God has been giving them all this time. And so Moses has sent these 12 spies into the land for 40 days, and our story picks up when uh, they've returned from this journey. So the majority of the spies decide that they're going to speak first. And so uh, 13, verse 27, it says, We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But, oh, here we go. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. So put yourself for a moment in the sandals of the Israelites as you're hearing this. What is your takeaway from this report? 
Are you thinking about, wow, the Malkin honey, that sounds really nice? Or, wow, look at this giant fruit that they brought back. No, what you're thinking about is all the reasons why it's impossible for us to go into the promised land. Look at all the obstacles they talked about that we need to face. There's no way that we can do that. Maybe we should just go back to Egypt and submit ourselves to slavery. These are all the, the fears that are churning in their mind as, as fear is taking hold. And so the majority of the spies have given in to fear, and so now that's beginning to spread like wildfire through the people. But there were two of those 12 that thought about this very differently. They saw the very same things the other 10 did, but there was one difference. Instead of looking at it as all the reasons why we can't, they were looking at it as these are all the things that God will overcome through us. And so rather than looking at it through a lens of fear, they looked at it through a lens of faith. And so in verse 30, Caleb projects his faith to the people. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Notice he didn't even say, well, I'm pretty sure we could do it. Or, well, I mean, maybe on a good day, we we can definitely do this. No, he says, I know for a fact that we can do this. But the fear brigade, the other ten, they said, oh, no, 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 we we can't have that. We we can't go in the promised land. And so they speak up again. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people because they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. So just to be clear, the Nephilim that we're talking about, that's where Goliath comes from that David would later face. So basically what they're saying is the entire land is full of Goliaths. That's, that's what they're saying. Uh, and also, oh, oh, and by the way, you have to be careful where you walk because the, the ground will just open up and swallow you wherever you go. You go. So I, w- I want to draw your attention to one phrase in particular that it says the spies delivered a bad report. What we, mean, what we understand from the original language is that this means that they lied or exaggerated what they saw in order to sell their story. See, because they had already presented the the case that this is impossible, we can't do this, we should avoid it. So they had to double down on their story and start making things up to further emphasize the fear that they felt. And we know this to be true from the story of Joseph. So many of us have probably heard of the young man with the coat of many colors, his father's favorite. So Genesis 37.2, it tells us that Joseph was out tending sheep with his older brothers, and, and he went back later and gave a bad report to his father, Jacob, which means that he either made up or exaggerated a story to get them in trouble because he knew his father would listen because he was his father's favorite. And so it helps us then understand later why his brothers were so mad that they decided to sell him into slavery and send him with some traders down to Egypt because he had made up a story about them. And so, again, we, we know all of this uh, comes to bear here in this story that the spies have made up this story about what they have seen. So what is the end result of all of this? Well, the Israelites, as I said, were within days of crossing into the promised land, but they would spend the next 40 years just wandering around in circles in the desert waiting for the unbelieving generation to die off. And the 10 spies that gave the report, uh, they were struck down with a plague and died for leading the people astray. And we might look at this and go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I thought God was a God of grace and mercy and love. He is. He is those things. But the people brought it onto themselves. 
because basically what they're saying is we would rather wander in circles in the desert for 40 years than believe that the same God who brought us this far is faithful and capable of taking us the rest of the way into the promised land. But don't we do the same thing? (laughs) Don't we do the same thing when we become uh, consumed by our fears? Rather than living a life of bold faith, we cling to them and give them power. Because if we would shift from fear to faith, now we've released ourselves from the the bondage of fear, and we're walking in freedom as God intended. And when we get in this mode, our our fears become a self-generated bad report about our past, present, and future. And so it's almost like a a false prophecy over our life of our our fears project and, and become our reality rather than recognizing them for what they are, fears that, drink, that bring us down. So Mark Batterson says this in his book, In a Pit with a Line on a Snowy Day. Highly recommended, great book. But as part of that, he says, Psychiatrists posit that we're born with only two innate fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. And that means that every other fear is learned. And more importantly, that means that every other fear can be unlearned. That should give us a lot of hope. We are not held captive by our greatest fears. We are not defined by our past. And just because we developed a particular fear, whether it be rational or irrational, that really doesn't matter. That none of it matters that we automatically have to carry that for the rest of our lives. Because if we do, we end up stuck in one spot, just circling endlessly, trapped in our fears, never moving forward. And our fears, they cause us to look inward because now we have to go into protection mode to protect ourselves from the things that we're most afraid of. And we will pursue whatever makes us feel happy and safe and sends the negative emotions away. But the trick that happiness plays on us is that happiness is like a bucket with a hole in the bottom, that no matter how much you you try to fill it, no matter what things you put in the bucket to keep it full, it will always fail you every time. And we may feel happy for a season, but ultimately we end up on a roller coaster of life, emotions, and circumstances, waiting around for things to get better. But I'm here to tell you this morning that there's another way. I'm here to tell you that that does not have to be the way our lives uh, go forward because there's a pathway of hope and faith. And so to illustrate where we're going uh, with this, there's a story of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6 that takes place many years later after the Israelites have been in the promised land. And at this time, they're at war with the Aramaeans. And so the prophet Elisha has been warned by God, been given information by God on multiple occasions where the enemy will be and uh, the, the battle formations that they have. And so then Elisha goes and tells the king of Israel uh, what's going on. And so Israel prepares in advance for the attack that's coming. As, as you can imagine, the king of Aram is going, wait a minute. Either I have a mole on the inside or something's going on here. And he has one of his advisors finds out that Elisha has been feeding information intel to the king. Um, Now, mind you, Elisha is not in the king's court. He's just having uh, divine revelation from God what the enemy is doing. And so the king finds out that Elisha lives in the city of Dothan. And so he sends an army to surround the city and, and take Elisha out. So we pick up the story in verse 15 of 2 Kings 6. It says, When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When we allow fear to rule and reign in our hearts, we find ourselves only focused on whatever is causing us to fear. That becomes our sole focus. That's the only thing that we can see in our immediate world. And so in this case, all the servant could initially see was just the hundreds of soldiers completely surrounding the city. And so when we, when we find ourselves in those situations, in those moments, our problem, the thing that's causing us to fear the most in that moment, that thing looms large and our God can seem awfully small because, again, we're consumed by fear. But we can see here that as Elisha prayed and his servant had his spiritual eyes opened to see, yes, there's hundreds of soldiers, but there's tens of thousands of an angel army surrounding them. Who do you think is going to win that battle? And so the the same is for us. Those chariots did not just appear out of nowhere. Those chariots were there the entire time. It's just the servant couldn't initially see them. And so it is with us that when we we have our sole focus on the things that we're most afraid of, that's again, that's the only thing we're dialed into. But what we miss is that God's presence is surrounding everything that we're most afraid of and that we don't walk through these things alone. We don't face these fears alone. He's right there with us every step of the way. And in the worst of times, the worst of things that we may face, in those moments it may seem like God's forgotten us or God is late or God didn't show up, God didn't do X, fill in the blank with whatever you will. But it's in those times that God is most nearest to us. Those are the times that he's the closest. If only we would have the eyes open to see his presence. And so that's what he invites us in those, in those times Instead of trying to figure things out in our own way, instead of being consumed by our fears, instead we turn and look to him and we pray and ask him to have our spiritual eyes opened so that we can see him as he walks with us. We know that there is nothing too big or too small for God to overcome. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because he came and died on a cross. And as he did that, he paid for and took care of sin and death. For all eternity. And he did that for us, not, not when we were on his good side. He did that for us when we were his enemies. And he made us a part of his family. And so if God did that for us while we were his enemies, how much more as his children will he walk beside of us, overcome any fear that we, we give to him? And so he calls us to trust him, to put our faith in his power and his promises. And he says, you want proof? You want proof that I'm with you? You want proof that I can conquer anything? He says, look to the cross. Look to what I've already done as evidence to what I will do in the future. And so we know that when we do this, we're not putting our faith in something that's like shifting sand. We're putting our faith in something that's solid and immovable. And so this is far deeper and more meaningful than just blind optimism of, well, I I mean, I hope God takes care of this or I hope God shows up. This isn't just blind optimism. This is something that's real and tangible and powerful. I will say this. Faith does not guarantee that we will never face hard times where we say, okay, I'm going to make a commitment to put my faith in Jesus and then my life will be fantastic and everything will go exactly as I want the rest of my life. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. What we do know is that faith keeps us moving through the hard times and faith enables us to overcome our fears. 
Because our fears, like sin, only have power over us if we feed them and allow them to have a home in our mind and our hearts. And so if Jesus is front and center, if he's sitting on the throne of our lives, then that doesn't leave any room for fear to coexist. Because you can't have faith and fear coinciding at the same time. It's one or the other that we put on the throne of our life. And so earlier I said that when we're in fear mode, we often turn to find things that make us happy and keep those negative emotions at bay. But when we're embracing a life of faith, instead we desire something else entirely, and that's joy. And so to help you remember this, I want to give you a simple definition of what joy is. It's Jesus over you. That's where joy comes from, is Jesus over you. And so you've heard Ross say it. I've said it many times. You've heard it from this pulpit that uh, we want more of Jesus and less of us. And when we say that phrase, when we say that saying, this is exactly what we're talking about, is we experience joy when Jesus is over us. See, faith enables us to experience joy in the midst of anything that comes our way, right? It's easy to feel and experience happiness when everything is going well, when everything is turning out exactly as we want. We can be happy because we're getting our way. But when our world gets turned upside down and things aren't going our way and things are are difficult, that's where happiness will fail us. But joy keeps us going no matter what we go through. We can find joy in hard times because because it builds our character and allows us to better reflect Jesus. We can find joy in the unknown because we may not know what the future holds, but we know the one that holds the future. We can find joy when our fears are raging because we don't face them alone and we don't overcome them by our own strength. We can find joy in our struggles because the power of God is made most evident in our weakness. And we can find joy in the love of God because his unconditional love is the kryptonite to our fears. And it is through faith and faith alone that we experience the purest form of freedom and joy. And so as we wrap up this first life lesson, I want to emphasize a few quick points. Overcoming and unlearning our fears is a process, especially for those things that have been present in our life since childhood. The switch doesn't flip just overnight. We don't just wake up one morning and go, you know what? I'm not going to be afraid of it anymore. <laughs> It'd be great, wouldn't it, if we could just solve our life issues by just deciding in a second that it's over. But no, these things are a journey. It's a process. And so even if you're sitting here this morning this going, man, when it comes to overcoming fear, I feel like I'm at level zero. I, I'm in the basement. I'm not even on the first floor. But that's okay. That's okay. Every journey has a beginning. And know that you are not left alone to figure all this out. You have Jesus uh, with you as you uh, navigate through your fears and embrace a life of faith. The second thing is living by faith is a daily decision that we make. So Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily and follow him. It's not a, well, deny yourself and take up your cross one time, and then that settles it. No, it's a daily decision to uh, have more of Jesus and less of us. A daily decision to uh, put aside our fears and embrace faith. And so just because we decide today that, you know what, okay, I, that's it. I'm, I'm going to live a life of faith today. Okay, well, be prepared tomorrow for when your fears come back because it's a daily decision, a daily journey. And finally, I want to speak directly to the youth that are here or listening online, because, again, this series is for you as well. You can make good choices and good decisions right now. 
you can decide to follow Jesus right now. There is no need to wait until you're an adult to be serious about your faith. There's no need to wait until you're an adult to, oh, well, I'll figure that spiritual stuff out later. You can make the decision and commitment to do that now. And especially in our world today, there's so many voices, so many attractions, so many things that can distract you from what's most important. And they speak loudly. They're in your face all the time. And many of them do not honor Jesus, and many of them will tear you down rather than building you up. And so don't wait from years from now to figure all this out. Don't wait until years from now to say, okay, now I'm an adult. Now I'll start unlearning the fears that have developed in my life. Now I'm, now I'm ready to embrace faith. You can embrace faith now. now. So now is the time to embrace a life of faith, a life of joy that puts Jesus ahead of you. And I pray you'll make that choice and continue learning more life lessons as we go through this series. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have given us the opportunity to be in relationship with you. Thank you that you did not shrink back from the opportunity to come and walk this earth, experience life on our level, so that you could then die in our place to conquer sin and death. And Lord, we know that this gives us great hope, that if you, if you conquer those things for us, even when we were against you, how much more can we put our faith in you now? And Lord, I, I pray that in those moments that fear wants to rear its ugly head, that fear wants to dominate our thinking and our emotions, I pray in those moments we would turn to you to see that you are already there. You're not late, you're right on time. So Lord, help us to embrace faith, help us to turn aside from our fear and live a life of joy uh, that is only found in you. It's in your great name that we pray, amen.